Acts chapter 4, verses uh, 13 through 22, if you don't mind, turning into your Bibles. Uh, if you have a device, an iPhone or an Android, I hope there's no Androids running around out there. But Acts chapter 4, verses 13 through 22, what I'd like to do is read the passage and then have a word of prayer. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do to these men? For it's obvious that a notable sign has been performed through them. It's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. There's no way we can deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in the name of Jesus. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather than to listen to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen, and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know that I've been thinking about this text for five weeks day in and day out, ever since I got the text message from Andrew and my other brothers on the pastoral team, that this was the text that would be assigned to me. I have not been able to put it down. It's just been in my soul, and I'm so thankful the day has arrived that I can give the message here by the enablement of the Holy Spirit. So I ask for help, Lord, that you would enable me to preach the word It would be something that my friends here can take with them to be radically changed by it this day forward. Oh God, I ask that we would all be bold like Peter and John, not because there was something inherent in them, but that because the Holy Spirit had filled them, had commissioned them to preach the gospel. Pray that you would just meet with us today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So my wife and I, we take turns every night. And I wonder often, when will this end? Because it's uh, our last of four children that asks to do this. My wife and I take turns snuggling with our six-year-old just before she goes to bed every night. And after a few moments, I, when it was my turn to get up and walk out, shut the door, I thought she was asleep. And just before I closed her bedroom door, she asked a question. Daddy, will you pray for me to have courage? My answer was, absolutely. Let's pray about that. And, uh, you know, I've been trained as a chaplain for eight, eight years now. I wanted to ask, why did you want to have courage before we go to bed? I'm very curious. Why do you want courage? So I found out a number of things before we prayed. She was thinking about kindergarten graduation. She was thinking about going to first grade. 
And for her little mind and her little life, that's a big deal. But I kept probing and asking, what else? What else is on your mind? She says, well, my dark closet door is still open. Will you close that? And she says, you know, I've been thinking about the dark also. The dark is also scary. And she had a lot on her mind. So we prayed. We asked the Lord to give her courage. We talked about how there was nothing in the dark that Jesus, King Jesus, did not know about. I told her that mommy and daddy were just down the hall and that once first grade got here, we would help you through that and Jesus would help you with that. And graduation, I told Charlotte, I said, graduation's going to be a breeze. You spent some time studying your lines and you know them. God has helped you with that. And so we prayed, and after closing the door, the discussion made me think about my relationship with God and your relationship with God. So even when we grow up, we have the same concerns. And I think everybody here has graduated from first grade. We have the same concerns for the most part. I know my lines too. I don't know all of them. The Bible's pretty big, but I know a few of them. I know a little bit of Scripture by God's grace. I know God has power over the darkness because he says in 1 John, he is light and in him is no darkness at all. And I know he's going to carry me into my own versions of first grade and kindergarten. I know many of you have your own versions of darkness. It's not first grade. It's maybe a different type of unknown, a scary diagnosis, an ongoing illness, Maybe a difficult conversation that you need to have this week with someone. Maybe a friend or someone who doesn't know Christ. Or it may just very well be you, you desire to desperately know Jesus more this week. I think, as I read through the book of Acts with you, and we've been studying it together, I think most, if not all, our struggles... Uh, can be met with how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit radically moves in the people, in the lives of the people of the book of Acts. The disciples had their lives turned upside down by the gospel of Jesus. They spent three and a half years following him and hearing his voice, watching as he was moved with compassion on those that could not help themselves in the least. And then they were struck with confusion on a scale that was unheard of. They watched as their friend, the God-man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who had never sinned, died on a cross. It wasn't in their plans. Of course, Jesus alluded to that in the Gospels, but they didn't quite get it yet. They watched as the King of Kings was murdered on a tree, and after he died, they wept bitterly for him. Peter denied him, and it's likely he was wondering if he ever could be made right with God after denying him three times. But then another unimaginable thing happened. The resurrection happened three days later. And then the ascension. These disciples were forever changed. Now we fast forward to our passage this morning, and we have a man who was healed by the power of Jesus through God's men, the disciples. And afterwards, Peter and John preached the gospel, pleading with the religious elite to come to Christ, to see Jesus for who he is, to trust, repent of their sins, turn from their sins, and 
accept Christ as Savior. Undoubtedly, the conviction settled in. And all the while, I can't help but to look at verse 3, sorry, chapter 3, verse 11, you find the crippled man just clinging, just clinging to the disciples. I think I'm speaking to a lot of you out there that are clinging as well. You are clinging to Jesus as you meet with other Christians, as you come to church week in and week out. You are clinging to hear something that will encourage you, lift you up, encourage you to keep going, to persevere in the faith. You're clinging just like the man who was healed. You know Christ as Savior, and you're here to grow in your faith. I do love what Robert said last week, that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is through the disciples, is actually an extension of the ministry of Jesus. I love that. That's a biblical statement. And this man is clinging to Jesus as he clings to the disciples. And so many of us, if not all of us, are clinging to some degree to Jesus through the community of faith. When someone comforts you, the timing you know was right. God had prepared that person to say just the right things, to say just the right scripture, and you cling to them. You want to be their friend. You want to be around them. This happened to me this past week. My brother who sang the song, we got together. We got Mexican food together and just talked about life and talked about Jesus. We just like to be around each other because those sorts of people share Jesus with you. So I know without a shadow of a doubt, I'm speaking to people that are clinging to to Jesus this morning. As if all the energy was, was yours. It, it has to be yours and, and you're desperate. I want to answer a question this morning, and it's found in verse 13, or the question, or the source of the question is found in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men, and they were astonished. How do you and I get to a point? where we're bold for the gospel, where we're taking chances for the gospel, when we recognize that the only thing worth living for is Jesus, his gospel, his kingdom, his purposes, and his glory. How do we get to that point that whatever context we find ourselves in, whether it's in Simpsonville or in the mission field, that we will see an opening and we will move into it with boldness? How do we get to that point? And let me uh, suggest four things for you. And boy, these, the first one was just rolling around in my head for four weeks. Just, I, I, I wrote out a whole outline and then, I, I kid you not, deleted the whole document. I threw it in the little trash on the, on the laptop and I said, that is not it. Start over. <laughs> but this, these, this, this first verse in verse 13 has been rolling around in my head for four weeks. So number one, I want to of four points here. Number one, boldness requires savoring how Jesus has changed and is changing your life. Let me say that again. Boldness, getting to that place where you sense the Holy Spirit is leading you to obey in in a particular area. Boldness requires savoring day in and day out how Jesus has changed and is changing your life. This is a lifestyle choice. Boy, the word lifestyle is laced with all sorts of different connotations in our culture today. But you, 
and I can make a choice that this will be something that you and I do week in and week out, day in and day out. Boldness requires savoring how Jesus has changed and is changing your life. Where do I get that, that, that statement? Look in verse 13 again. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men, and they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. If you get nothing else out of the sermon, take home with you these three words, please. Been with Jesus. Been with Jesus. Been with Jesus. You see, these religious elite, they couldn't quite understand how did the P- Peter and John get to the point where they were staring death in the eye and they were speaking the truth of Christ, knowing that they had already been threatened, their lives were at stake, their, and they said, we don't really care. We're going to tell you about the Lord. Been with Jesus is quite possibly the most important part of getting to that boldness. I have several observations here. Been with Jesus has nothing to do with your pedigree, your education, your social class, your race, your ethnicity, or your gender. Been with Jesus has nothing to do with all that. Look at the the ways in which the religious people misnamed Peter and John. Look at verse 13 again. They said, uneducated, common. You see, they were saying, they didn't go to school like we did. We were raised in a very uh, education-saturated environment. These men, doesn't make sense. They're common. They're uneducated. How on earth did they get to this way? Now, there are some in our audience today that are Greek scholars. I'm not necessarily a Greek scholar. I know a few vocab words, <laughs> a couple of verbs. But I looked up that word common. I don't want to make too much of it, but it's idiotes. <laughs> Again, scholars see them after class. I'm not so sure what that means exactly, but it sounds like idiot. But the definition is this person is an outsider. They don't belong in our ranks. They're unskilled. They don't know the Old Testament like we do. They're fishermen. If I want to come and ask you how to fish, I'll come to you and ask you how to fish. But right now, you're in the temple, buddy. We have all the power. Idiot. They're unlearned, poorly educated. But then it suddenly, in a moment of irony, it's kind of like, do you really understand what you're saying I think the Holy Spirit and, and, and the Father and the Son, they're all, it's just kind of a, a bit of humor where they, they actually get it right. We see that they're common. We see they're, they're unlearned, but they spent time with Jesus. Three and a half years. A couple of verses that kind of reinforce that it, it matters not where you come from, what you know, per se, Philippians 3, verses 4 through 6, Paul says, If anyone thinks that he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, or if anyone has reason to believe that there are works that you can bring to the table and say, Jesus, accept me, Paul says, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, 
a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of what? Don't miss it. Knowing Jesus, my Lord. Pedigree doesn't matter. Education doesn't matter. Your social class doesn't matter. None of this has any weight at the throne, at the cross. It's knowing Christ. It's been with Jesus. Romans 1.14, Paul makes reference to his desire, his love for the gospel, preaching the word. And he says, I am under obligation both to Greeks, who are historically known as being some pretty good and wise people, and to the barbarians, those that have little to no education, that if for any other reason they were just scary. (laughs) I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. Greeks, barbarians, wise and foolish, all equal in their need to be with Jesus. Equal in their need for the gospel. So being with Jesus has nothing to do with your pedigree, your education, social class, race, ethnicity, or gender. It has everything to do with just knowing the Lord. So number one, Boldness requires savoring how Jesus has changed and is changing your life. Been with Jesus is a big deal. I'm not done with this, these three words. Been with Jesus transforms what you love, what you desire, what you want. It's like when you see one of these movies that uh, has an archaeologist or some kind of treasure hunter, finds a long stick and some cloth and lights a torch, and he's walking through these caverns, And he finally reaches his goal. He finds a giant room full of treasure. And he realizes as the room lights up, he can't quite possibly take all of this home with him. It's full of gems. It's full of treasure, gold, precious jewels. When you see the Word of God in front of you, it's so full of gems, treasure, precious gold and jewels. Over here, there's a gem called propitiation. Christ taking the wrath that we deserved. Over here, there's a treasure chest full of gold called redemption. God buying you back from your slavery of sin. Here's a sapphire named the water of life. When you drink from it, you'll never thirst again. Been with Jesus is a great treasure. It's meant to transform your affections, your desires, what you love. This is not a sermon about get in your Bible and read it more. This is about enjoying the Lord, being with Jesus at the dining room table, in the waiting room at the hospital, waiting to hear the news, whether or not your loved one's going to be okay. Jesus is a great treasure. How many of us have been with Jesus, even just today. Matthew 13, 44 through 45 says, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field which a man found. He covered it up, put dirt on top of it in such a way that no one could find it. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and he buys that field. 
because he knows that treasure is priceless. Been with Jesus is priceless. It's beautiful. It's the greatest gift that you and I could ever receive. We were once enemies of God, Romans 5. We were once haters of God. And yet Jesus wants this, these three words to be part of our lives. Been with Jesus. Do you savor the Lord and your relationship with him? Do you value it above all other relationships? Do you hold it in high esteem? Do you enjoy it? Do you love Jesus for who he is? Been with Jesus transforms your affections, desires, and what you love. 1 John 1, 1 through 3. Again, John's one of the guys in our passage in Acts. He wrote this many years later. He says, we heard Jesus. We touched Jesus. We likely held his hand. And I'm thinking, is this real? Is this real? We saw Jesus with our eyes. Now, because of those realities, because he's real, we write these things for two reasons. That you might believe and that you might have fellowship with us. It's gospel advance. It's reaching out to the person next to you on the bus or the train or even in the car on your way to work and saying, Jesus loves you. Have you been with Jesus? The salvation of others and the fellowship that we desire for people to have comes right out of Matthew 16, 18. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Ben with Jesus says, I want to get on board with that. Lord, use me as you build your church. Lord, put that treasure of your sovereignty into my heart that the gates of hell will not prevail against me as one of your people, as one of your church. That's what Ben with Jesus can do. That's what Ben with Jesus can do. We are no different than the disciples. I'll maintain that. We, we both partake of the same spirit. We both have the same mission. We love the same Lord. Yes, we even both struggle to be reminded of these truths. Bend with Jesus can change our desires and our affections and our love. Now, bend with Jesus can also change the way you look at the world. Doctrine, truth, what we believe. When you spend time with the Lord and you ask him, through the Holy Spirit, open my eyes to behold wonderful things out of your law. That's dangerous. That's life-changing. And if he does it, you might find yourself somewhere differently in a week, two weeks, or a year from now that you never thought you'd be because been with Jesus means so much to you that he changed your life. He put you somewhere different. Been with Jesus means that you're going to have a different look about what, who Jesus is. John 20, 28. I love Thomas. <laughs> I'm Thomas almost every other day. <laughs> John 20, 28 says, Then Jesus said to Thomas, the, the man who wanted to see Jesus in the flesh before he would make any deliberations about Jesus, he says, Jesus says, Put your finger here, Thomas, and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, Thomas, but believe. Jesus is pleading with him. Believe. 
Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And here's the part. It's almost, and when I read this, it's almost like, well, I know it's a fact. Jesus had his whole church in mind. His whole church. And even those that would reject him. Jesus said to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Everyone in this audience, myself included, every last one of us, we have never seen Jesus in the flesh. But if you know Christ as Savior, that God's love has been set upon you, you're redeemed by his grace, God calls you blessed. Bend with Jesus changes the way that you look at him. Acts 4.12, bend with Jesus changes the way that you share the gospel because it's exclusive. There's no other way that anyone can be saved. Acts 4.12 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The gospel is exclusive. Ben with Jesus will tell you that. In a very loving way, Jesus will tell you, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come unto the Father except by me. Not only that, Ben with Jesus will tell you that you and I are not a big deal. That all praise must be directed to God. That's what our text says over and over again. Not just in my paragraph that I've been assigned. Not just in last week's message or next week's message. Praise is used, that word is used all over the book of Acts. Praise is for Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit only. After the crippled man was healed through the power of Christ, the people were astonished. They were filled with wonder and they praised God praised God. Every part of ministry that you and I could ever be involved in and those that minister, every last bit of it is meant for God's praise and God's glory. To point to his worth, to his value, to point to his glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 is one of those verses that we learn when we're younger. We grow in our understanding of its implications over time. But Paul writes, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Ben with Jesus can change that perspective for you. May I, I pray that it does. I pray that for myself. But Ben with Jesus also means that you look at the scriptures in a completely different way. All over the book of Acts, right here in our passage, Acts 3, 13 through 25. They say that the Old Testament fathers all pointed to Christ. That's Abraham, that's Isaac, that's Jacob, that's Joseph. All of that points to Jesus. Chapter 3, verses 14 through 15 says there are actually consequences for not denying Jesus. Chapter 3, in verse 19 and 26, repentance is necessary to be a follower of Christ. Verse 22 Moses' ministry pointed to Christ. Verse 24, the ministry of the prophet Samuel pointed to the last days, which, newsflash, is all about Jesus. The reality of the crucifixion in chapter 4 and verse 10. The reality of the resurrection in verse 10. Every last word is about Jesus. So when you open this book and you are asking the Lord to show you something, what you're actually asking is for him to show you himself. 
That's been with Jesus. And been with Jesus has always been meant to be the foundation of your life, the foundation of my life. There is no other foundation. Think of the house of sand, how shifty it is, that the parable that Jesus taught. He is the only sure foundation. Listen to this foundation in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, after all of the doctrine, out of all the salvation, for chapters 1 through 3 of putting people in a corner where they can't reason that they have any shred of righteousness of their own. Moving on to talking about Abraham, talking about the law, talking about the beauty of Christ in chapter 8, 9, and 10, about God's sovereignty. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, on all this, on the basis of all this, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We minister to others, we minister to people on the basis, on the foundation that God had shown us, has shown us mercy. Mercy is that love of God which shows compassion on those that cannot help themselves in the least. There is no answer outside of God. Jesus is saying on, that, on those grounds, on that mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Serve me, follow me. Or just be with me. Been with Jesus cannot happen apart from the new birth. Let's just not get this. We cannot miss this point. Been with Jesus cannot just happen by mustering up enough strength, mustering enough courage somewhere in here. It's not in here. Something called the new birth has to happen. And this is at the beginning of your walk with Christ when you have been shown from the scriptures that your sin is despicable. It separates you from Christ. Someone shares the gospel with you and says that you can be made well. You can be made white as snow. If you turn and repent of your sins and trust Christ, that is what is absolutely necessary to get courage. Been with Jesus must include the new birth. Acts 4, verse 8, it says... Then Peter, just before the sermon, so that there's no question what's going on here, says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to make it perfectly clear in the text that this sermon has zero effect unless the Holy Spirit empowers it. John chapter 3. Oh, I love John chapter 3. Don't you just love Nicodemus? A searcher, someone who wants to know truth, had been grown up in a religious context, but he's so intrigued by Jesus. He's wait, waiting in the middle of the night to sit with Jesus and just hear something from this man who's so mysterious, who's, who heals. And Jesus says, you need to be born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, if you want to have a true impact for the gospel, for all of this knowledge that's running in your head about Yahweh, God the Father, and Israel's history. If you want to really take that and see your life used for God, you need to be born again. Nicodemus says, how on earth can a man get inside his mother's womb a second time and come out again? Don't miss the point. You need to be born of the Spirit. Titus 3.5 gives us a little bit more 
of what that looks like. He says, Jesus saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy he saved us. By what means? By the washing of regeneration, that's the new birth, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Men and women, the first thing that has to happen, if you want to be with Jesus, if you want that to be said of you, been with Jesus, if you want that to be true, and you're trying to do that apart from the new birth and trusting Christ and becoming born again by the Holy Spirit, you're missing the point. You're missing the most essential thing that you need in this life. Bend with Jesus cannot happen apart from the new birth. It actually cannot even happen without grace and without faith. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is very clear. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This first three verses of chapter 2, I don't know how you come out of that and think that you still have a chance apart from Jesus, apart from the Holy Spirit. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, Our mind is so polluted that we follow the world day in and day out, moment by moment. Satan, the prince of the power of the air, actually can tell you, go over here, do this wicked act, and you cannot give him a fight. But verse 4 tells us how we are changed, but God. But God being rich in mercy. By grace you have been saved through faith. Matthew 16, 15 Where does grace, where does faith all come from? Where does this new birth come from? Not inside of us. Matthew 16, 15 says, He said to them, But Peter, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Another blessed passage. God opened his eyes to see Jesus for who he is. That, those three words, been with Jesus, if you're asking yourself, well, how do I even start with those three words? Where does it even begin? Ask the Lord to open your eyes. When you sit down and open up the word of God, when you sit here in this place, hear a sermon preached, when you go out and you have Mexican food with your buddy, maybe before you exit the vehicle, ask the Lord, can we just meet with you? That's not too much to ask. I want to be with Jesus after this is over. Been with Jesus should lead us to say like the psalmist, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Chapter 24, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Boldness requires savoring your relationship with Jesus because these truths are truths that you're meant to enjoy. Preach them to yourself. Lay these truths on your pillow at night. Lay lay your head on them at night. Think about them. Pray them back to God. Bend with Jesus is not just for the disciples. It's for you and me. Bend with Jesus is for you and for me. Been with Jesus also means you don't have to hide. You're scared. Right now, you don't know what life will bring. 
can't quite make sense of the events that have transpired in your life recently, then with Jesus means you don't have to hide. You can come in fellowship with the Lord and spend time with him. Been with Jesus means you can find forgiveness. You can be adopted into the family. You can be redeemed by God's grace. Been with Jesus means you don't have to hide. John 1, verse 12, But to all that did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If the Holy Spirit had opened up your eyes to know that you need Christ, and you repented and you trusted him and came to him, Jesus says, Chase, Chase has a right to be a child of God. He's mine now. I adopted him into the family, even though he hated me and he was my enemy. By my grace, I conquered him. He's mine now. Romans 8 tells us that he will never let us go. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come, bend with Jesus means you don't have to hide. You can come for rest. No, this is not to say that you'll understand everything that's going on, but you'll understand this, that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. Matthew 28, and that will last until the end of the age. Been with Jesus means you don't have to hide. You remember that statement in the Gospels where Jesus looks out to the, the Pharisees and the religious people of the day, and he says, How often would I have gathered you under my wings as a hen gathers her chickens? But you would not. When the, when the hen house is on fire, you can rest with Jesus. You can hide underneath the shadow of his wings. Ben with Jesus will also one day become a different statement. You'll no longer one day say, Ben with Jesus. Well, that's kind of funny, Chase. Didn't you say that this is absolutely essential for life? I must be with Jesus every day. One day that statement will become, I am with Jesus. It's all over Scripture. Yes, there's a part of us that they walk with Jesus day in and day out, but in the fullest sense of the word, seeing him face to face where your, your faith becomes sight after your last breath is taken on this earth and you look up and you see the face of your Savior, Ben with Jesus will one day become I am with Jesus. Revelation 22.4 says, They, that is, that is the saints, will see Jesus' face. 2 Corinthians 2.4 This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. God's glory on full display for all eternity. Oh, think about the conversations you'll have with King Jesus. Think about all the things that he wants to tell you. All the joy that you'll have together. Been with Jesus will one day become I am with Jesus. Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Oh, it's so hard to say on this side of heaven because it hurts so bad when we lose a loved one, when something goes awry, like losing a job or the bills keep coming. Where do those bills keep coming? 
It's just over and over. I'm tired of it. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. His glory. Psalm 23.1, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is with me. That's code for Ben with Jesus. So boldness to do anything for the Lord begins with being with Jesus, recognizing what he is, what he has done, what he wants to do in and through you, the salvation that he alone provides. Don't misunderstand what I've been laying out here before you this morning. Ben with Jesus is not about do, 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 or works. It's about meditating on his work, savoring his life, and saying, Lord, just tell me who you are. It's about enjoying his life, recognizing what happened in his death, recognizing what happened in his burial and his resurrection. It's about the hope that he gives to you and to me. It's about sitting with Jesus as your perfect prophet who opens up the scriptures for you, the perfect priest who he himself has made himself the sacrifice and King Jesus. It's about him as king who rules and reigns no matter where you go because he's with you. It's about learning from him as you read the word of God in these ways. Been with Jesus. What beautiful three words. This is what carried the disciples into that interrogation room. Stop talking about him, they would say. We're threatening you. And then they realized, wait a minute, they're so bold. It's not because they went to school somewhere. It's because they, were, they spent time with Jesus. Psalm 119, 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I'm asking you this morning to make a decision that for, for as much as lieth in you, if there's even a shred of desire still left in you to spend time with the Lord this week, do it and listen. His words are sweet to your taste, sweeter than honey to the mouth. I don't, listen, I don't have to tell my kids that soda is sweet. You hear me? (laughs) This Dr. Pepper that we're opening up at dinner, you don't have to tell them that it's sweet. It's good. Tastes really good. may not be good for you, but it's good. Tastes sweet. Been with Jesus is meant to be sweet. And so often we look at it like it's a chore. You don't have to tell a person on a roller coaster, now, hey, wait, wait, when we get to this loop part, that's when you say woo. Jesus is inherently sweet. He's good. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So in review here, boldness requires savoring how Jesus has changed and is changing your life. And they recognized they had been with Jesus. Oh my goodness, that was point number one. Oh my goodness. Point number two, boldness requires savoring God's words over and against the words of all others. Let me say it again. Boldness requires savoring God's words over and against the words of all others. Look at verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. I love how just in keeping with the way Jesus showed up, sometimes Jesus would be asked a question and Jesus would answer with a question to get them thinking. And here they are. The disciples following after their Lord in the same process, asking people that they know a lot about God, what do you think is the right thing to do? Should we do what God says or what you say? 
We miss this day after day. I miss this day after day. We listen to so many different voices. We so easily let any other voice crowd us out instead of the voice of our Savior, instead of the voice of the Spirit of God. Our minds are so easily distracted. We still wrestle with the flesh every day. We're distracted with tertiary issues, things on the, that really have no bearing on our life whatsoever. But, ooh, we like it because it sparkles. <laughs> this has been an issue since the dawn of time. We'll take anything but Jesus. We'll listen to anything but Jesus. In our culture, this verse is not popular. The heart is desperately wicked. That has changed to follow your heart. I hope you will get in my face if I ever tell one of my kids that. If you hear me say that out loud, boy, rebuke me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength has been changed by our culture and some of our churches to follow your dreams. Can I I tell you, if you've said this statement to me, I'm so sorry. I'm not targeting you. There's probably two, three dozen people who have said this to me. I don't like this exchange. Hey, brother, how you doing? And the guy says, just living the dream. I really want to say, will you wake up? (laughs) I, I want to wake up. I don't want to live a dream. I don't want to be sleepy. I don't want to follow my dreams. I want to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'll never get there, but I want to be a little bit more like Jesus. How about the center of the universe theology where, oh, everybody and anyone that's anybody is telling you that you're the center of the world. What do you want to do? What do you, what's your identity? Instead, we should be asking ourselves, what does my identity in Christ look like? I want to listen to that. Adam and Eve failed to listen to God in the garden. They disobeyed and ate of the fruit of the tree, and as a result, death and sin entered the world, and death passed upon every single man. That's our biggest problem. Our first parents did not listen. They did not regard God as holy. They were sellouts. They traded away their relationship with God, and they did not treasure him, so they ignored his warning. They listened to the serpent. God told Adam, dress the earth and keep it. It was his job to drive out the serpent. Get out of the garden. You don't belong here, especially when you're talking like that. And instead, he said, they listened to the serpent. They gave in to the lust of the eyes. They gave in to the delicious fruit. And all of humanity paid the price, you and me. We do the same thing time and time again. We replace God's glory, his splendor, his majesty for a lie. And on down the line it goes, Cain and Abel. Cain slew his brother because he tried to bring something that was not what God had prescribed. Esau, in that story about Jacob and Esau, Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of porridge. Moses didn't listen to God when he said, speak to the rock, Moses, and he struck it instead. The people of Israel refused to listen to the voice of God speaking through his prophets. They were warned time and time again to return to the Lord, be made white as snow, that their sins would turn from scarlet to wool. And they did not listen. When Jesus was on the earth, he warned the religious elite. He preached the coming of the kingdom of God. The Pharisees, the scribes, and many of them loved their own power. They loved their own authority. And when they saw Jesus come on the scene, they wanted nothing to do with him. They didn't want to listen to that. It disrupted their life. Even when Stephen was martyred, we might get to that in about six years, (laughs) but 
When Stephen was martyred, his murderers, would, they stopped up their ears. I don't want to hear the preaching anymore. Let's get rid of him. Let's kill him. In Acts 17.30, I don't think I'll live to see that sermon. <laughs> the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. There's hope, people. I don't want to leave you without hope. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can lay aside every weight and every sin that besets you from serving the Lord. Hebrews 3, 7 through 8, if you hear his voice today when he's speaking to you, do not harden your heart like the people in Israel when they rebelled against the Lord and were sent into the wilderness for 40 years till they all died off. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. Isaiah 1, 18, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are like crimson, they shall become wool. Boldness for Jesus requires that you treasure God's words over and against the words of all others. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. Number three here, boldness requires savoring the advance of the gospel of Jesus. I want to, be, I want to move through this quickly. Look at verse 20. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Don't you want to be there in your life today? That because of been with Jesus and because of the time you've spent with him, that there is no way I'm going to hold this in. There's absolutely no way. You know, Jeremiah, at one time, he was so discouraged with ministry. He says, oh, I, there was a point when I wanted to hold it in, but it felt like a fire raging inside of my bones, and I was weary for holding it in. I had to talk about God and what he has done, what he's calling us to do. Don't you sympathize with these men, these disciples? No one wants to go to jail. But the boldness is so clear. They were ready to lay down their lives. Boldness requires savoring the advance of the gospel, but it's a high price. It requires all of you. Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Romans 1, 17 through 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Why would you not be ashamed of that? Because it is power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Your hope hinges upon the gospel. Boldness requires savoring the advance of the gospel of Jesus. These men said, we've been so radically changed by the Holy Spirit, by the life and ministry of Christ, by God, that we're not going to hold this in. We're going to share it with anybody. And it does not matter if you put us in jail or kill us. I want that kind of boldness. Number four, boldness requires savoring the sovereignty of God. This will be a quick point. Look at verse 21. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Boldness requires savoring the sovereignty of God. All of this happened, and the people praised the Lord. And just like Robert... 
dipped into my sermon a little bit. I'm going to dip into Matthew's sermon. Verse 24. After they release, they go home. What are the, what's the first two words of their prayer? Sovereign Lord. Boldness requires savoring the advance of the gospel, yes, but boldness requires understanding by God's grace that there is not anything that can happen to you outside of God's will. That when you step forward and say, yes, I will tell my neighbor about Christ, I will share the truth in this very uncomfortable situation, know without a shred of doubt that God is with you. He's sovereign. He's right by your side. And so far as your words coincide with his words, he's with you. I uh, got this book. Um, I would encourage you all to get it. It's called Then Sings My Soul. It's 150 of the world's greatest hymn stories, compiled by Robert J. Morgan. And there's a story in here about the song that we're about to sing called What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Written by Joseph Scriven. Joseph was actually, in, I think it was like 150 years ago or so, he was engaged to be married twice. A few days before his wedding day, his fiancée died. He was about 25 years old. A few years go by, and his grief was just overwhelming. He loved this woman deeply, wanted to spend the rest of his life with her. So he wrote a song. Actually, it was just a poem called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And it sat on his table, and he actually, he was living in, in America at the time. He sent it to his mother. When his mother got it, <laughs> I know that some of you have moms like this. You know, you, you put the artwork on the side of the fridge, and you just want, you're, there's no one like your boy, right? And so Scrivenger's mom takes the poem, walks down the street, finds a publisher, and they publish it. And then someone later puts it to music. And for about 40 years, no one knew who, who wrote it because it was Scrivenger's uh, desire that his name be left off of it. Well, a few years later, Scrivenger meets another young lady. And unfortunately, she also passed away before they were married. He never got married. And on his deathbed at the age of 66, someone was ministering to him noticed that there was some paper on the side of the table there, and it was a manuscript of what a friend we have in Jesus. It looked really old, like it had been crumpled up and read a lot. And the young lady ministering to him said, did you write that? And even then, in that moment, he couldn't bring himself to say it, but he knew his final days were quickly approaching. He says, yes, I wrote that in a very difficult time. Meditating on my friendship with the Lord was the only thing that got me through. The story is even more tragic, I hate to say it, because at the age of 66, Scrivenger, over time, lost his mind, actually walked out the front door of his home, and he was not being attended to, walked into a lake and drowned. But can I tell you right now, Scrivenger is with his friend, <laughs> You would say that that is an awful tragedy. Why would God do this? And Scrivenger say, please don't talk like that. 
the whole way, my best friend was Jesus. And he carried me through it. Yeah, Scrivenger lost his mind, died in a lake. But when he woke up, there's Jesus. There's not a friend like Jesus. If you'll bow your head and close your eyes, I want to have a word of prayer. And Matthew's going to come now and want to sing that song. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what a peace we often forfeit. Oh, what a needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, steal our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Father in heaven, I can't think of another way to become more bold than to spend time with you asking the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to convince us of the truth of the gospel, convince us of the truth of the story of redemption, what you're doing in the world, that you're building your church. I can't think of another way in which you could build boldness in our lives. I thank you for this time that you've been allowed to, for me to meet with my friends this morning. If there's a person hurting here today, and undoubtedly there are many, I pray that they would be with Jesus. If they don't know how to do that, God, press upon them and their spirit to meet someone in this room, say, I need to know Jesus as my Savior. I want to spend time with Jesus for the rest of my life. I can't do this alone. I need him desperately. Maybe that's your prayer right now. You're calling on the Lord right now to save you. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you do. We'll trust you with the results. Holy Spirit, come. In Christ's name, amen.